0: Is struggle ever helpful? Does it ever help us in our understanding? Or does it always entangle us in more suffering? This question of struggling was addressed by the Buddha In the very first sermon that he gave after his enlightenment, the discourse which is called the turning of the wheel of the law, or the setting of the wheel of the law in motion, the first discourse of the Buddha after his enlightenment talked of the Four Noble Truths. And the first part of this first discourse Had to do with the investigation of struggle. He used the word dukkha. It's a popular word in the Buddhist teachings. Dukkha. It means, that's the Pali word, and it means, among other things, hard to bear or hard to endure. The first noble truth of the Buddha's enlightenment has to do with the investigation of this aspect of reality, this aspect of dukkha, or struggle, or what's hard to bear, hard to endure. He gave us some clue in terms of where to look for this understanding. He told us what was hard to bear. what's hard to endure. He said that association with what is unwanted or undesired is dukkha, is struggle. Parting from what is desired or what is wanted is struggle or dukkha. When we're with What we don't want, we struggle. When we're abandoned by what we do want, we struggle. Given the fact that everything seems to come and go by itself, pretty much out of our control, somehow it doesn't seem fair. We're often associated with what we don't want, and we're often abandoned by what we do want, and so we're often in this state of dukkha, or struggle, or suffering. Is there a way to understand this process where we can open to the changing nature of experience free of dukkha, free of struggle? When we see that the nature of the suffering is our resistance to what comes, or our attachment to what is changing, the struggle or the suffering comes not from the experiences themselves, but rather from a certain kind of relationship to experience. When we resist, what's coming, what's there, so we suffer. When we try to hold on or cling or be attached to that which is changing, we also suffer. (coughs) This struggle has two aspects. One aspect is the, is that of it being a misdirected energy, it's a misdirected effort. It's like we find ourselves fighting with experience, fighting with life, out of harmony. So it's the use of our energy in a disharmonious way. But it also has a positive aspect. And it's understanding this positive aspect which we can turn to our advantage in the practice. And that is, at times of suffering, or times of struggling, in our practice here or in our lives outside, that struggle is a signal, or it illuminates the fact that we have come to some edge or to some boundary in our minds, in our hearts, of what we're willing to be with, of what we're willing to accept. So we're right at the, we're brought right to the edge. If at that time we can then investigate what it is that actually is going on, what, the ki- what kind of experience is it that we're resisting or pulling back from, that we can't surrender to, or open to, then we use that struggle in the service of our own investigation and exploration and opening. So that instead of pulling back from boundaries and pulling back from the edge, we expand. We expand our ability or we expand the range of experience that we can be with. What are some of the experiences which come which push us right to the edge? There are a few which stand out as being particularly helpful in that way. Big one. First big one that comes in practice, pain. Generally, when people come to retreat, begin intensive practice, common experience is that we that we start feeling, or becoming aware, of all kinds of painful sensations in the body. How do we relate to this pain? It's interesting to observe when the pain comes, you know, by the last sitting in the afternoon, and the back hurts, and the knees hurt, and the shoulders hurt, to look and investigate how we're relating to that experience, how we're relating to the painful feeling. A few of the common ways that we've been conditioned or habituated to relate to pain, one of them is self-pity. We feel sorry for ourselves. You know, poor, it's it's the poor me pattern in the mind. Everybody in the room is sitting in blissful samadhi and only my knees hurt. You know, poor me. It's not very helpful. Right? It just kind of collapses us in on ourselves. Another way, and probably an even more strongly conditioned way that we relate to pain, is with fear. Often, we're afraid to feel the pain. We're afraid of those sensations, of those feelings. We've been conditioned in our minds to be afraid. So what do we do? That fear creates a sense of contraction or pulling back. Pain arises in our experience. And because of the fear in the mind, we contract, we withdraw we get tight. The effect of that contraction is simply to create more pain. We make everything tighter and more tense, so we lock pain on top of pain, tension on top of tension. It's not a very skillful way or a helpful way to relate to the painful feelings that come. Is there another way of being with pain? a way that's opening rather than contracting, a way that's releasing rather than tightening. The first step or the foundation in a truer relationship with pain is a willingness, almost a a joyous willingness to look at it, to actually see what is this thing which we call pain, what is this experience. Instead of being frightened by the impression of pain, instead of being fearful of the first signals of it, kind of settle back, and go into it, investigate it. What is this experience? What's happening? We begin to see that what we called a pain in the knee, with all the attendant feelings and emotions about that, of fear and pity, self-pity, we see that pain in the knee is an abstraction for much more specific experiences. What is pain? Pain is certain sensations, certain physical sensations that happen to be rather intense, and there's a wide range. You know, it could be stabbing, it could be burning, it could be pulling, it could be pressure, it could be heaviness, it could be tearing. It's a long list. But you see that when the mind, when there's a willingness to go into and explore what it actually is, rather than react with fear or self-pity to the abstraction of pain, we find that actually the mind can stay open and balanced in a much easier way. It says if we become interested in what's going on. There's one attitude of mind which is indispensable for this investigation of pain. And that's the attitude of acceptance or allowing. It's that quality of softness of mind. Is it possible when painful feelings come up, when these intense sensations arise in the sitting or walking or at any time in our lives, Is it possible for us to relax into the awareness of those sensations? Not to pull back, not to tighten, not to contract, but to soften into it. It's a very different relationship and it has very different consequences. Painful sensations are actually an extremely good object of meditation. You know, often people have the idea that pain is a mistake, or you know, if only the pain would go away, then my practice you know, would deepen and I could get on with it. And it's missing how valuable that experience is as an object of meditation. Because when there's strong sensation in the body, the mind is not wandering. You know, you're know, you not kind of daydreaming and drifting, and you're certainly not asleep. There's a lot of energy there. There's a lot of intensity. If we can learn how to be with it in a soft way, very quickly deepening of our practice, And so in that way, these painful feelings can be considered a gift and an opportunity for us. But we have to learn how to be with it skillfully, rather than in unskillful ways. Relaxing, softening, allowing ourselves to go into it. Sometimes people wonder why, when they come to retreat, all of a sudden, their body is filled with pain. Right? In their lives, they're going along, and you know there's not much awareness of things being so painful. Come to sit, and immediately, everything starts to hurt. What is that? It's several things. One is simply the fact that we're sitting so long in an unaccustomed posture. And so that will take some time for the body to settle. But more interesting than that is the kind of pain which is the accumulated tension that we're all carrying around and mostly unaware of. And you can see, as you pay attention to to one's own body or other people's bodies, we can see the holding patterns, the armoring right, that we all carry. That's painful. That holding is tension in the body. It's not openness. It's not a free flow of energy. So we sit in an undistracted way. We begin to tune into it. We begin to experience what it is that we're carrying around in our lives. And what's so Freeing and beautiful <clears throat> about the practice is that the awareness itself, as we bring awareness to this holding or tension or pain, you could think of it as energy knots in the body, as we bring awareness to it, we create the space for those knots to untie, for those knots to release. And you will experience It happens daily. It's very noticeable over, over a period of time, of 10 days, a few weeks, a month, certainly within three months, you will notice a big change in terms of the letting go of the tension that we're holding. But it's not letting go by an act, an active command. Have any of you had success with telling the pain to go away? Unlikely, rather the letting go, the letting go of this holding happens by letting it be, by not resisting, by not tightening, by creating the space or the openness to simply experience it. As we soften into it, we allow for the untying of the knots. So in that sense, The awareness, or the acceptance, of painful sensation is a very healing process. It's tremendously healing, it's healing of the body, it's healing of the mind. Pain is so interesting because it brings us so quickly to that edge of what we're willing to be with, to that boundary, which is really, for each of us, our own particular limitation. We can be with this much and no more. At this point, we start to struggle. Use the intensity of sensation that comes in the practice. When you get to that point, when you're struggling with the pain, use that as a signal To pay attention to that point, okay, relax, soften, let me be with this too. You see that those boundaries or those limitations begin to expand and to open. In the course of the retreat, you will also begin to see and investigate the ways in which we resist doing that the ways we resist being accepting or being open. Just to mention a couple of them, to give you some idea of those areas to pay attention to, the mind can get so tricky and so subtle in its Mm -hmm. habit of not being accepting One way that it works with pain very often is it starts to bargain. I'll be with you if you'll go away. So willingness, okay, I'll watch the pain, I'll be with it, in order for it to leave, in order to untie this knot, that doesn't work because that's not really being accepting. That's still pushing against it there's no bargaining. The practice of acceptance of being with things is to totally, willingly, joyfully be with every part of our experience that arises. And so look at the mind and see whether it's resisting in this kind of subtle way. You know, when we think we're being with it, but not really. It's interesting to observe also how our fear of discomfort or our fear of pain also conditions so many of our desires, so many of our actions. There's a syndrome of the mind, it's called just-in-case syndrome. I'll have that fourth rice cake just in case I'm hungry later. You may, not, you may not actually be hungry, but just in case, I'll have it now. I'll go to sleep now just in case I would be tar- tired tomorrow morning. And we have this fear that you know, sometime down the road we may be uncomfortable or feel some painful, painful sensation. And so we do things. We feed our desires in an attempt To ward that off. We don't have to be afraid of pain or discomfort. And to see that and to open to that is tremendously freeing in the mind because it allows us to settle back into the moment and respond appropriately to what's happening rather than out of fear of what might happen. being accepting, being allowing, being soft, relaxing into it rather than avoiding or contracting. What's also very helpful in working with pain is keeping a sense of humor. Not only working with pain, working with everything that arises. Keeping, keeping a certain lightness. Sometimes in the retreat, especially as people just getting into practice, often there's a sense of grimness. You know, And you're walking around, I'm going to be mindful if it kills me, (laughs) and kind of grimly walking and sitting. That's not mindfulness, that's grimness. And they're two totally different things. The mindfulness is very light and very soft and very delicate. One teacher, a Vietnamese teacher, had a wonderful suggestion for his students. He told his students to practice with a half smile. Just now, try a half smile. It changes things, doesn't it? It's like, just somehow the facial muscles are connected to the brain in some place. <laughs> it, it helps. This is not a metaphorical suggestion. It's a literal suggestion. It helps to stay light with experience, to remember that the awareness doesn't mean heaviness. It doesn't mean ponderousness. Though it can be, even with even with intense experience like pain, with some humor, with some lightness. Pain. That's one one big area that pushes us to the edge that if we don't understand how to work with it, creates a struggle. If we do understand how to work with it, it becomes an entryway into deepening practice into a a greater opening. There are other elements of experience which also bring us to an edge of what we're willing to be with, which are often at the heart of our struggles. These are different mental states the the mental analogues to pain in the body. There are many different kinds of mental states or emotions that we resist, that we don't like. Just to mention a few of them and suggest ways of working with them. Restlessness. It's a big one in the beginning. The mind gets agitated, gets restless. Hard to sit still, it's unpleasant. Because it's unpleasant, we start struggling with it. As we struggle, we get more restless. If the restlessness gets more intense, we resist it even more and we're bound in this cycle. Instead of struggling with the restlessness, see if it's possible, in the same way that we work with pain, to relax into it, to open it, to investigate exactly what the nature of restlessness is. Because like pain, restlessness is an abstraction for more specific experiences. Can you pinpoint or can you dissect this combination of experiences which we call restlessness? You'll see that it has certain physical sensations, it has a certain emotional tone, certain kinds of thoughts. If you look very carefully, if you investigate carefully, rather than react or pull back or resist the experience, then it's possible to transmute that energy of restlessness and the struggle with it into real understanding. It's another part of our experience here in the meditation center and in our lives It's an energy that often runs our lives. Is it possible to understand it, to go into it? Something that might help you work with an energy like restlessness is the understanding that the mind, using the image of the mind as a camera, you can think of it as a camera with two lenses. One lens is a telephoto lens, or a zoom lens, where you zoom right in very precisely to the object. So you're working with the breath, it can get very microscopic. Or working with a particular sensation in the body, zoom right into it. But sometimes the zoom lens is not appropriate. Sometimes you have to change it, change the lens on your mind to the wide angle. That's what you have to do with restlessness, because it's a big, it's a wide, it's an extensive energy. And if you're trying to stay pinpointed in the midst of this big energy, then there's a struggle, because your mind is not accommodated, accommodating the extent of the energy that's present. So if you let go of that zoom lens focus and settle back and open up to that sense of, you're open to the whole feeling of restlessness. It's like you open yourself to it. Let me be restless. Let me die from restlessness. <laughs> uh, it's just a willingness to be with that experience, to see what it is, not to try to change it, not to try to avoid it. Just, you're with it. And as you're with it, there's a possibility of understanding it. It seems so obvious, doesn't it, that in order to understand something, we have to be willing to experience it. If all our energy is in pushing it away or resisting, there's no possibility. We never find out what it actually is. Just as with physical pain, with restlessness also, there's no need to be afraid of it. We've never lost a yogi from restlessness. (laughs) Nobody I know has died from it. And so again, it, it creates, with the proper attitude, it creates an interest rather than a struggle. It doesn't have to be a struggle, depending on our relationship to it. Another mind state, which often creates struggle, because we don't relate to it skillfully, is boredom. I'm sure that there have been times in these last few days, you're sitting or you're walking, and you just think, I cannot take another step. (laughs) If I do lifting, moving, placing one more time, and it's just the boredom becomes unbearable, How much of our lives are spent in the avoidance of that feeling? How much do we do in our lives that's fueled by this fear of being bored? When boredom arises, be bored. Be totally, and fully, and completely, and openly, and lovingly, bored. Find out what it is. What's going on? What is this experience that we've been so afraid to be with, that we pull back from, and get involved in all kinds of activities, you know, to, to not be with? I'll give you a, a little hint or clue in terms of the nature of boredom, something for you to investigate for yourself, to see whether it's true in your experience. It was actually an observation by Fritz Perls, a Gestalt therapist, the founder of it, and it seemed to me very, very accurate in terms of our experience. He said that boredom is lack of attention. Boredom arises when our attention is superficial. That's revolutionary, in a way. Because what it's saying is that boredom has nothing to do with the particular object or the particular experience. It's not the experience that's boring, we're boring. (laughs) (laughs) That's very different. But it also gives hope because then instead of struggling with a boring experience and having to endure it, we see that actually that state of boredom has to do with our own quality of mind. And I think that you'll find when the attention gets very close and very careful, inherent in that closeness of attention is interest. a little experiment um, exercise you can do. This this is a walking meditation exercise, especially at those times when you're bored with it, or it feels mechanical. As a way of arousing interest through closeness of attention, see how slowly you can walk and still move. As a model for that, some of you are probably familiar with this, uh, Marcel Marceau, a famous mime, once did a routine where he went from standing position to lying position, and you never saw him move. That's pretty good. The increments of movement were so small, so slow, that you never saw any movement, and yet he went from standing to lying. (laughs) If that doesn't hold your interest... (laughs) See, we usually don't play the edge. Often we're involved in seeing how fast we can go, but very few of us have experimented with how slow we can go. And I'm not suggesting that you do this kind of as... the general pattern throughout the day all the time although slowing down is helpful but just at times to play that edge of slowness and you'll see immediately how much interest comes from the awareness of movement in that context the boredom disappears working with restlessness working with boredom not being afraid of it but going into and exploring it. There are so many. There are so many states that we tend to resist and struggle with. The principles are the same. Anger, aversion. When anger comes in the mind, is it possible to open to it in a way that it actually is illuminating of the nature of anger? Rather than lost in the storyline, you know, in the melodrama of what this person did and what that person did and what I'm feeling, and rather than get into the soap opera of it, when anger comes, if you can drop a level and open to the experience of it, it's intense. Anger is an intense energy. It, it's, it's equivalent to some strong sensation in the body, some strong pain. It can be extremely energizing if we're not identified with it, if we're not claiming it as my anger and you know, getting involved in that, in the script line then we're opening up to an understanding of another kind of powerful energy that washes through. What I'm suggesting in all of this is that there is nothing in our experience which falls outside the range of practice. Nothing. There is no state whatsoever, whether it's exceedingly blissful, or very painful or difficult, nothing lies outside of practice. And now what we're doing is learning how to open and relate to each of these states from a place of balance. Not holding on when things change, not resisting when things come. Use the times of struggle that come, and they do come a lot. Use it as a signal or feedback that that's the time and the place, or that's the situation, to investigate how it is that we're resisting our experience. What is it that we're not opening to? And so it becomes a tremendous challenge and a tremendous opportunity to understand this working of our our mind-body process in a wider way and in a deeper way. So we use the struggles that come, actually, and transform it into insight. Working with pain, working with difficult mind states like restlessness, or boredom, or anger, or fear, or whatever it is that may come.